Red Cloaks Radio is a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio, joined with my co-hosts today. Hi, I'm Laura Venesey. And I'm Martha from Boston Red Cloaks. And we're Me continuing too. our conversation with Anne Litwin. Hello, Anne. Hello. Hi, Anne. Anne. And you've helped us on a magical carpet ride back to the mid-1960s. And when we left off, we were talking about what it's like being a college student if you found yourself pregnant and then having to go and ask for help. Or even before that, if you were going to become sexually active and you wanted to seek contraception, you talked about being able to get it on college campuses, but that there was just shame in admitting you were having sex. So can you just give us a little more sense of that? Because I think a lot of people who go to college now might not have had sex before, but it, it seems more socially acceptable that people will be having sex when they're in college. Well, I think this was, you know, this time that I'm describing like a 66 to 69 was, was really a transition period in the culture because the birth control pill had really just become available widely. Um, sex became um a uh it's just um you know very permissible uh that it wasn't yet then and so it was still you're supposed to be a good girl you're locked in your dorm at night you were supposed to uh wait to have sex until marriage that changed like the next year but in that in that year in 1966 i think that was like the the uh 65, 66, that was when the turning point really came. So when the when we started our work with helping women get abortions, uh, illegal abortions, it was still at a time when it was shameful to have had sex. And so to uh, go to an infirmary and ask for birth control pills or to try to find an abortion was, you know, and had to tell someone that you uh, you were pregnant it was uh, it was very hard for women, very hard. And the young younger the hard younger it was, the harder it was. Was it shameful for men to be having sex? No, it's never. I don't think ever been shameful for men. No, <laughs> no, uh, I don't think so. I mean, what I wasn't a man, but I, I don't think so. They just didn't have. For one thing, they didn't have the consequences because certainly one of the stories that I heard over and over again growing up was it if, from my mother was, if you get pregnant before you're married, I don't you're I disown you, you are no longer my daughter. I mean the fear of like uh, that women had put on them, men and men never had that. Yeah, oh, and like you said, it's college, and that partially explains. I was going to ask why aren't people asking their parents for help. Mm -mm. No, you couldn't ask your parents for help. It was shameful. Well, because you'd be admitting you were sexually active and then you'd be disgracing the family. I mean, it was that kind of like baggage. Uh, I can tell you I had that too. <laughs> Half generation later and I was, I was treated the same way. <laughs> Maybe things haven't changed so much. I hope they have. <laughs> And there's probably a range. I mean, it's interesting when you were talking about getting contraception. So in Massachusetts right now, Lindsay Zabidosa introduced legislation that would allow students on public university campuses to access medication abortion. So right now, if you are out in Western Mass and you're at UMass and you are pregnant and you would like to have an abortion and it's early enough that you can have a medication abortion, you have to leave the campus where your doctor is. You have to travel to go someplace else to actually get the medication abortion. So, you know, times have changed and yet they haven't 
these restrictions, these barriers that don't really make sense are still there. After you were having these experiences in college, how did that lead into what you did for the, you know, the next couple of decades in terms of activism or engagement around this issue? Well, I know you've already talked to one of my, uh, one of my compatriots in the next phase of my life around this work, Marsha, uh, because I did move to New York State after I graduated from university. And uh, it was, abortion was legal in New York State, but I lived in upstate New York, which is where I met Marsha. And even though abortion was legal in New York State, it wasn't available in upstate New York. Um, <laughs> there were no Planned Parenthoods. There were Planned Parenthoods in the city, in New York City, but in the upstate rural, there were no Planned Parenthoods. It was a very Catholic area. And uh, none of the OBGYNs in the area, I mean none, would prescribe birth control or counsel for choices for unwanted pregnancy. Wouldn't discuss it, let alone offer an abortion. There was nothing available. So wow. uh, I was part of a group that Marcia and I were both part of a group that then did, uh, you know, did did offered the whole range of services again by like past play, pasting our names and phone numbers on bathroom walls, right? Because it was still it was illegal for us to be offering pregnancy tests. It was illegal for us to be counseling people and then we were making appointments for them in New York City and driving them down to Planned Parenthood and so um, we you know we but there were a group of us who were doing that there because the women in upstate New York did not have access to abortion. Wow so so I have a couple of questions do you think that um, that that this is still happening in places now. Do you think that that those kinds of grassroots things are happening? And do you feel exhausted by, you know, just thinking about how, what you've done, you know, in in two different waves, and and then looking at what we're dealing with now and seeing the non progress that we've made? I feel frantic. That's why I'm so grateful for this opportunity to talk to you. I feel like at least maybe this, this is one little, little thing that I can do maybe that will help somehow. I feel frantic because I think we're going straight back to the back alley, cocaine yeah. abortions, and I'm, I'm distraught about it. Um, and I'm in, I live in the state of Missouri. Oh. We have one abortion clinic left in the whole state. And, uh, of course, you know, they've tried to shut it down over and over and over again. And just this morning, I learned that, uh, a, uh, that a state legislator in the state of Missouri introduced a bill to uh, implement a Texas-style vigilante abortion uh, uh, ban. Ban, basically. Yeah. Well, it's, it's criminal. It, like, it's, it targets people. That's just so awful. Yeah, our good friend Cheryl is a doctor there, and um, she goes down, I think, once a, once a week or once a month. I'm not even sure. Um, but just the fact that, that she could be held criminal for this is now super scary. Super scary. It's, this, is, this is super scary. I mean, I just, so I feel, I feel frantic. Uh, I just, I feel scared. 
Do you think that this puts you and the people that you have worked with on these kinds of issues at a, in a different place, like um, fear wise? I don't know. I don't know. I think, you know, maybe because we've seen it, because we've seen the back alley abortions and the hemorrhaging and the, and yeah. the, and the coat hanger, these things that p people did to uh, try to end pre unwanted pregnancies because we've seen it. Maybe we feel more frantic. I don't know. Uh, Cause this is the only experience I have, but I suspect that people who've never known anything, but, uh, but, but Roe, uh, as as women in this country, they may not have the fear that I feel. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's scary too, that there is this um, sort of like, eh, it won't happen. There's a little bit of like, well, yeah, that might happen in Texas, but not here kind of thing. I, I feel that way about Massachusetts for sure. And yet, you know, that's, that's a possibility that, that um, could come tomorrow. Well, the Supreme yeah. Court is really shifted. The landscape is shifted. They definitely yeah. could recognize fetal personhood. And it yeah. seems like one thing we've been struggling with is how do you express to people, like what, we have these arguments that have settled in that are, they don't make any sense where a fetus is worth more than an adult woman or a right. trans pregnant person. So a trans pregnant person who's, you know, 30 and has got an education and a job and maybe a kid and becomes pregnant that person is not worth as much as this fetus. It doesn't, no. like, where are the words? I mean, I don't know how, how... I, know. I think it helps for you to describe actually seeing someone who's had, who's had a, a, an illegal abortion in a procedure that wasn't safe, bleeding, and yeah. could, could lead to death. It, it was so freak, it was so, it was not uncommon for people's uteruses to be punctured uh, during these illegal abortions, these were often usually not medical doctors that were performing them. Sure. Uh, to have a uterus function to have puncture, to have infections set in because of uh, poor sterilization, and uh, and die of infections as uh, post uh, complications. I mean, there were just so many things that can go wrong. The coat hanger thing is not an exaggeration. People stuck coat hangers up their uteruses to try to abort, and then punctured themselves or infected themselves it, just out of desperation i mean yeah. just yeah and i think it has to sit with people because i know there's there is sort of a wave of social media saying please don't use the coat hangers anymore because the coat hangers um, people won't understand they'll think it's a way you can have an abortion and for anyone listening we're not saying coat hangers are a good idea or will work but people need to understand that when people are desperate and we're talking about in reality sisters trying to help their sister or mothers trying to help their daughter or daughters trying to help their mother or partners, male partners trying to help a woman end a pregnancy and not knowing what to do. And so that's what actually happened. I think that history is lost. Yes, that history is lost, yes. Yeah, and I think if you haven't heard those stories firsthand or known someone who knows knew someone that you might not realize how treacherous a time this is. Well, and that the stories for a little while at least seemed like history and that now we could be seeing a wave of that again very, very soon. Yes. So in the talking about it, I'm interested in your, your saying, um, your decision to share the stories and bring them forward. What, what propels you to share? 
Well, I think it's just what we've been talking about is I think that that uh, that the women who have uh, who have come of age well when Roe was legal and have only known being uh, of reproductive age when we had Roe, they don't that they don't they don't understand how dangerous it is to not have legal abortion, safe and legal abortion available. And so they, so that's my, my, I, in fact, I had uh, recently had coffee with the, my local Planned Parenthood. I just moved to Missouri, so I'm new here. I just had coffee with my local Planned Parenthood a person. I asked to have coffee with her because I, I basically said to her, you know, I have these stories. People need to understand these stories, the stories. And, and I said, do you have any way for me to tell my stories? And she said, well, no, not right now, but we'll keep you in mind. Right. So uh, uh, that's where the, the urge comes from is I feel that maybe the stories will help people mobilize. And uh, I don't know what can be done at this point, but I mean, oh, it's just so terrifying. It's interesting. I mean, so we've got Senator Elizabeth Warren is among the people who are talking about expand the Supreme Court. So there's one thing. Uh, the Senate could join the House and they could pass the Women's Health Protection Act, WHPA. So people who are listening, call your senators, call them and say, join the House of Representatives, because Congress can actually pass legislation that will apply to the whole country. We are one country. So we have some access. And then I think supporting people who are doing the work that you have done right now today, making sure that there's money in the hands of the people who can't afford it so that they can get safe access. There's at least three things we can do. But I think what you're talking about is a bigger um, educational campaign, which we can't do without you because we weren't, we weren't there. We weren't experiencing it. And people may not understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I think I'm so grateful for you for doing this. I think it's so important. Martha, I see you. Well, I have a comment because um, I think, uh, as I said on a previous occasion, that Roe versus Wade State is being taken for granted for from one generation back uh, or my kids' generations. And I have plenty of difference between all of them. And also talking to them, women and boys, they think that contraception has come to a different level, that it's infallible. So they don't have to worry. And, and I get sick and tired of telling them, no, it's not infallible. It's not infallible. You have talked to your classmates somebody has to have, have an abortion or a scare, something that goes like, oh my God, I, I'm late or something. But they think they, they are this superwoman, superman generation and they think, and thank God, uh, medicine has come to a stage that it's wonderful, but contraception is not a hundred percent infallible. Exactly right. Yes. You know, in the first, in the first part of our, our conversation with you, you painted a picture of the mid sixties and what it was like in terms of social norms about like being a good girl and not having sex. And I think Martha Leticia's point brings up this idea of sexual freedom. And I just wondered if you could, if you could help us 
map out what it felt like then versus now because contraception has made it so that more women could enjoy having sex because they want to. So their sexual pleasure wouldn't be tied to you have to be pregnant. And I don't think people really fully understand what it was like before. Well, yes, I think that uh, even even in the uh, like in the early seventies when I was working with the with the Woodstock Women's Health Collective, which is what uh, Marsha and I were part of in upstate New York, uh, we were we were often invited into the local high schools to teach sex education to the students because the teachers were not allowed to do so. <laughs> so they would invite us to come in because we weren't employees of the school system. We couldn't be fired. So it was still not even discussable. Sex education wasn't even discussable. So we would then often during those times, and I, uh, and I think this is probably still true in many parts of the country today, we would, uh, we would meet young women who really didn't know anything. Um, and they were really young. I mean, we're talking 14 or 15. They were young. They didn't really know, understand about how their bodies work. They didn't understand about ovulation. They didn't understand about birth control. And they would get pregnant. And then they have nobody to talk to. So uh, our being in the schools meant that they found out about us, and then we would end up being able to help them. But I think uh, I, there's still sex education in the schools is still a real difficult topic, I think even though this is so many years later, uh, there's still all of this struggle about uh, what, you know, what people do and don't want their children to learn about in terms of sexuality. So I don't know that things have changed that much. Laura, you might want to have the closing comment there. <laughs> I've done some of the same work, and <laughs> um, I worked for a hospital where um, we went into the the schools, the public schools, and and did the work that the teachers either didn't want to do or, <laughs> or, weren't allowed or whatever. So, um, and and I am I'm just so sad to see that that it reminds me of some of the stuff that's happening with abortion, the way they want to take it state by state and and have it decided by each little locale. Where that's the same thing with sex ed. And it's, it's really sad to see that one school system can say, nah, we'd rather not teach that, or we're going to teach abstinence only. And another school has, you know, fairly good education. Well, none of it's really great, but, <laughs> but well, it's then, still just school by school almost. When you don't teach it, what you are teaching in your silence is that it's totally fine for men to have sex and women to get pregnant and women to bear the responsibility and have their life disrupted. And right. because the silence leads to just what you said, Anne, women who, you know, go off to college and maybe they fall in love and they don't really know how their body works and then right. they're pregnant and the consequences on them. And I'm wondering um, about, you know, your own, your own views for yourself about abortion and abortion access. Well, yes, actually, I'm glad you asked that because my own experience of having two abortions uh, while I was in my 20s uh, was that, it, you know, it was after Roe v. Wade and abortion became legal. And so I knew that my abortions were safe. They were sterile. Uh, they were, I went to Planned Parenthood and uh, I, I was not afraid. There, there, I, it was such a different experience. My birth, my birth control failed. And so, uh, and I had 
I was in my 20s. I didn't have any means of support. Uh, I was single. I was absolutely no position to bring a child into the world. And it was just a very clear and easy decision for me. But it wasn't scary because it was safe. Quite a contrast. Right. And we're really grateful for your spending time with us and bringing these stories forward because history repeats and we're trying to not have that part repeat. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, thanks for coming on. I, I really do think too, the more that, that these stories get out there, the more you know people can relate to them and it's not just this um, issue that touches other people, you know? Uh -huh. And for those who are listening, if you have a story to share, you know, whether you had an abortion, you were involved with people who were trying to support people having an abortion, you didn't have an abortion, but you have a story about it, please, you know, get in touch with us. You can write to us at bostonredcloaks at gmail.com. Um, and again, good luck in Missouri. We're here for you if we can. Yeah. Be <laughs> Recuerden que si tienen una historia para contarnos sobre sus sobre un aborto, sobre lo que hayan hecho, sobre el aborto, eh, contáctenos a Boston Red, Red Cloaks a gmail.com. Recuerden que estamos aquí para ayudarlas y sus experiencias nos, nos enriquecerán y nos ayudarán a ayudar a la juventud que viene y a que Roe contra Wade no sea Gracias. Great. Everyone have a great day. You've been listening to Red Cloaks Radio, a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Find us at bostonredcloaks.com 